All right, welcome back to Patriots of the Core, episode number 91, and I've got retired Chief Master Sergeant Will or William Markham, who I've known since September of 2010 and wanted to talk to him a long time, but now he's retired, and you got all the time in the world to talk now, don't you, Will? <laughs> yeah, just about old, old retired guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. Uh, so I saw that you recently were inducted into the U.S. or U.S. SOCOM Hall of Fame or Hall of Heroes. Is it, is it Hall of Heroes? Hall of Heroes, yes. Okay. And then were you also inducted into the 2021 Air Commando Hall of Fame? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think they had anybody else, so they uh... – <laughs> no, it was a, a great honor, and uh, I'm, I'm absolutely humbled by the, by the nomination and the selection. Yeah, well, well deserved for sure. Our family thinks the world of you, and you were a rock for us, you know, during that time when Mark was killed in, in 2010 in that fall. So we really appreciate you. You know, you got you had 30 years of service, and as much as I'd love to talk to you about your service and what you did in Afghanistan and elsewhere, you have that has been talked about on several podcasts. I'll probably link to some of those in my show notes. But there are some things I don't know, like where. Did you were you in the Gulf War or did you did you not deploy until Afghanistan or where was your were some of your early deployments? Well, I had cross trained from being a security police, uh, you know, in the Air Force uh, about five years into my career, and um, the Gulf War, you know, kind of came and went for me. It was I, I sat over in uh, Germany uh, during that time and. Um, just watch planes, you know, leaving Ramstein. And um, so, no, I, 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 didn't get to, I didn't get to do a whole lot during that. And um, I just I just knew there was, after being a cop, there just was a, a greater calling. In fact, uh, um, you know, some of our combat controllers, you know, uh, Kyle Stambro, you know, being one of them, mm-hmm. one of my huge mentors, you know, he was a former cop and, I always used to hear the saying, some of our best combat controllers used to be, you know, security police. So probably because we appreciated what we what we didn't have and what we want what we wanted to do. That's interesting. I'll link to my episode with Kyle Stanford <laughs> in the show notes too. Yeah, I, I remember him saying that now that he was he was police. In 2001, uh, you know, I, I well, I think you were one of the early ones that was deployed to Afghanistan, probably the same time as Bart Decker. Just correct me. I'm just gonna throw out what I think I know. Bart Decker was one of the early ones I think you were. Can you talk about what your role was and when you went to Afghanistan the first time? Yeah, I sure can. Uh, initially, uh, we were there to, well, we deployed from Herbert Field, Florida. I was with the uh, Mighty 2-3 uh, STS at the time, uh, Special Tactics Squadron. Initially, we went to establish and open Karshi Khanabad, uh, which is K-2 airfield in Uzbekistan. Uh, for coalition operations and, you know, 9-11 kicked off and, you know, everybody was, everybody was going crazy. Everybody wanted to, you know, get over and, you know, find some justice. But we, um, you know, it took a couple weeks and with, you know, proper planning through uh, SOCOM and AFSOC, we finally got a mission down. And so I went with one of my uh, teammates, Dennis Bernier, who you know well, and, uh, we met up with our team leader at the time, Pat Ward, who had a brand new, brand new lieutenant in uh, combat control. Um, we went over there and established uh, 
Um, Pat went with the 6SOS and we established the airfield at, at K2, you know, and it was just a mainly set up uh, coalition air operations. Uh, the Uzbekis owned the airfield and uh, we came in with a pallet full of vodka and money and, you know, basically bought the airfield from them for a, a certain amount of time. Uh, once we established the airfield and we got more support in, then our unit and uh, um, uh, airfield contingency operation uh, took over the airfield. And then we immediately went into um, standing up combat search and rescue contingent with the 160th uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment. And then soon to be later, the 5th Special Forces Group that would uh, roll in and force. Uh, within about a week of being there, uh, my leadership uh, comprised of Pat Bihana, uh, Kurt Buller, uh, Billy White, and uh, you mentioned Bart Decker, um, all, you know, my supervisors and team leaders, uh, they recruited me to be the um, first airman to be attached to the first special forces group that would be deployed in Afghanistan. And I was attached to operational detachment alpha team 555 triple nickel. And our, our main plan was to uh, plan for unconventional warfare operations, be attached with the CIA and the Northern Alliance forces that were friendly to the U.S. Uh, we linked up in the Panjir Valley on the 14th of October. Um, that's just about 60 miles northeast of Bagram Air Base. And then our plan was to work our way from the Panjir Valley, uh, conduct unconventional operations, which consisted of close air support against the Taliban and push our way down to uh, Bagram Airfield and at some point secure and reopen Bagram Airfield for coalition operations. And uh, when we first got that mission, it was, you know, um, our leaders uh, between General Mulholland, you know, then Colonel Mulholland, uh, Task Force Dagger Commander, and um, all the way up to CENTCOM, you know, with General Tommy Franks, you know, they expected this to take about six months, and we uh, conducted that operation within 25 days. <laughs> wow. Did you utilize horses at all? No, fortunately, um, you know, you've, you've met me. Uh, I think the first, uh, I think the first Afghanistan horse that looked at me would have said, I will step off this freaking cliff if uh, you try to get on me. So now we were pretty fortunate. We weren't, uh, any of the horse soldiers. Uh, we were, uh, you know, we had vehicles right from the very start and, uh, uh, we, you know, we, we conducted regular military operations uh, in, in Afghanistan. So is there anything else that you want to say? I know we could go forever on that, but anything you want to say in particular about the your first deployment to Afghanistan? Oh, man, it was just it was just surreal. You know, I I joke back now with, uh, you know, people like Colonel Kurt Poehler, who's now retired, and, you know, Senior Master Sergeant Bart Decker, who's retired, and, you know, just the, just the team guys that, you know, were – team guys with me at the time and leadership at the time. I, I always joke that, you know, they sent me first because they wanted to get rid of me. Um, but it was just, um, you know, the, the great thing about soft is we're, we're so networked. We know everybody. So the great thing about getting attached to ODA 555, the triple nickel was immediately when I went into the isolation tent with them, it was, uh, seeing Master Sergeant Greg McCormick, who was my swim buddy from Key West when I went through dive school, um, meeting and, and now working with 
um, Scott Zastro, who was the SF medic on the team, uh, then became a PA, now is our medical consultant for our, our nonprofit, uh, meeting Steve Gruel and uh, another SF medic who, you know, it was just, it was the heart of the team and just that network and, um, you know, previous past experiences with these people um, that just made the, the team so great. And, and I, I truly think that's why we, we function so well, because we got along so well. Yeah, you mentioned, you threw out some names, Buller and Decker, and, you know, they are former guests on my show. I haven't had uh, Bernier on. Mark called him, or did everybody call him Big Sarge? Is that right? Yeah, Big Sarge, Heavy D, you know, Dennis Dennis is a force to be reckoned with. He's <laughs> such a, man, he's such a teddy bear, such a sweetheart of a man. And, um, you know, getting to go, uh, you know, I, I went through, I was a team behind Dennis going through the pipeline, and, and uh, uh, Dennis uh, didn't make it all the way through and ended up becoming a, a combat or a, a TAC-P, and then later in his career uh, became a, a combat controller. So I got to see Dennis from, you know, being a fellow team guy to, um, you know, me being the chief at the 2-1 STS, and Dennis Bernier was now the team sergeant, and, um, you know, Mark's team sergeant. So it's... Uh, it was just really neat to see how his career path went and all the great, exciting things he did. I mean, uh, especially with everybody. I mean, Kurt Bowler, Bill White, Bart Decker. I mean, just, you know, phenomenal mentors that I had to, to, to work with and, and, you know, help me with a, you know, a very difficult task, um, but one that we were successful in. And it was, it was only because of the, uh, the people that I surrounded myself with to, to, to make that happen. Yeah. Now, you got the Silver Star. Was it from that first deployment in Afghanistan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, Will, thinking back on your career, what are some of your greatest successes? You know, I, I've, I've had this type of question before, and I've, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've listed off personal successes that I've had, and, and, uh, and then one time when I was asked this, I just – it just hit me because none of my successes um, came without a price. None of my successes came without, you know, again, surrounding myself with the, the smartest, sharpest, you know, fastest people that, um, you know, helped me get to, you know, where I am today. So I would say, I, I would say um, that that's a kind of a twofold question. I would say, uh, first, by providing my leadership um, the information needed to make informed decisions that affected morale, welfare, and the lives of my teammates and their families. I think that is, you know, anytime somebody lists their success, um, you know, as a, as a personal thing, I, I think that's the, you know, my opinion, Will Markham's opinion, it's, it's the wrong answer. I think you can measure your success by how well um, the people you were with, um, how well they did, you know, how, how did, you know, how did somebody that you worked with, how did they succeed because you gave them the resources necessary, um, to succeed. And, and I think that's how success should be measured. And, you know, back, you know, just a couple of years ago, you know, taking this question and, and 
and really taking a hard look at it and being less selfish, um, I think that's how you measure success is by, you know, what did you do to make other people succeed? And if, and if other people succeed it because of you or with your help, then man, that's, that's all, that, that's all the success you need. What about some of your greatest challenges or failures? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, we, you and I have a personal connection over that because I think that the greatest challenges were, you know, losing teammates and friends and, you know, ha- having to be there for the families. And it's, it, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a failure, but it, it's definitely probably the greatest challenge is how do you, you know, how do you look at that family and say, you know, your loved one had everything they needed. They had all the resources they needed. They had all the training they needed because that's never going to be true, you know, because there's always more. There's always more. So you take a look at that and you look at yourself as a leader and go, man, how can I honestly say this to the family? I can say honestly to the family, you know, we did everything we could to provide that. But um, as a, as a, as a, as a personal note, you can always do more. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge. And then I think the other challenge that I, that I face is, is just trying to find people that are willing to find the way to yes for something that needs to be done. I think that's, you know, that is so minor in the, the big scheme of things, but, um, losing teammates and friends, I think is the the biggest challenge I ever had to do because you have to really take a personal look and go, man, did I provide everything um, for that person's survival? You know, and and it's a, it's a hard question to ask yourself. Like I've heard people, I've heard leaders say that before and, and I'm like, Nope, we we didn't, you know, we got that one wrong. And uh, that's a hard reality to face. I've heard you, or I've seen you at least say on LinkedIn about find the way to yes. I imagine, is this accurate? You're the kind of guy that if you ask someone a question, especially someone that reports to you, you don't want to hear, and they don't know the answer. You don't want to hear them say, I don't know. And leave it at that. Maybe it's like, Hey, I'll find out. <laughs> is that accurate for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I used to, um, you know, stupid trivia when I was the, you know, coming up through the ranks, I had, you know, supervisors and NCOs and chiefs and team leaders do it to me, but it's just, you know, you can, you can judge a lot by a person by asking them the most simple question. And if they don't know it, you know, there's, yeah, there's the, the easy way, the easy button to say, Oh, I don't know, you know, but there's the, there's the find the way to yes. And, you know, they'll find out the answer they'll research the answer. And then guess what? They'll never, ever forget that, that, that answer. Yeah. I've been reading or I finished general Armfield's book lead to serve and serve to lead. By the way, he's going to be on the, uh, he and uh, Bruce Fister will be on. I want to interview them in about two weeks to talk about that book, but they talk about this too and talk about using the word yet. I haven't fi- figured that out yet. And my, my first boss, when I started working full time out of college, he taught me that because he asked me a question and I said, I don't know. And he was, he was a great teacher. And he said, you net don't ever say, I don't know. <laughs> and I learned yeah. from there. I just don't, I was like, okay, you know, I don't know. I'll find out though. Yeah. It's almost, you, you don't, 
you know, you, and, and in general, on our field, I mean, there is a person you do not want to disappoint. You know, it's not, it's not a fear factor. It's not, it, you know, it's not this big, huge, scary guy, but he just has that, he just has that way about him. And, and, you know, Michael Monica is another one. Uh, Bart Decker is another one. Um, you know, there's just those people that you do not, you, you will die before you disappoint them. And it's, if they ask you something, you want to, you want to go about every way to find the answer for them. And, and that's a, that's, that's such a rare leadership, you know, quality and capability that people have. So Will, since retiring, did you retire in 2016? Yes. Okay. Uh, April 1st, um, 2016. And then my end of service was the end of June, 2016. So 30 years and 30 days. Yeah. Okay. So since then, what I know, you've had your hands in several things, but what all have you done? I know we're going to talk about the Patriot Fund for sure. I'd like to talk about Project OVAT, but I know you've been in Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Can you just touch on some of the things that you've done before we get to maybe your most recent ventures? Well, I've done the same thing that I've, you know, that I wanted to do my entire military career and question was asked to me by Jeff O'Hara, uh, you know, my president of Project OVAD, you know, hey, what is it you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I just want to continue to help people. I think that's the, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there that will help people, um, but to, to help them, you know, selfishly to, you know, w- w- without any, you know, without any reservation, without any, you know, taking care of people is the, the priority. And so I've, I've just always wanted to do that. And I want to, you know, to the naysayers, I want to help those people find the way to yes. I, I want to fight for our veterans. I want to fight for our service members and I want to fight for their families. And uh, that's the, that's the only way to, to do it is by fighting for other people. And, you know, not saying that the mission comes first, but you know, you, you help people and then the, the rest will follow. When Mark was killed, before the funeral, somebody contacted me, a family friend, and said, you know, we want to donate something. What's an organization that we can donate to in Mark's name? And I had no clue at the time. The only organization at that time that I knew that that helped our military or veterans was Wounded Warrior Project. And, you know, since, obviously, I've been exposed to many organizations and many nonprofits, but how... How do people tell, you know, what is an effective nonprofit and one that and uses the money to actually help people versus just paying, you know, high salaries and, you know, high rent, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, my probably my last 20 years in the, the Air Force, I was really dedicated to a couple veteran nonprofits that we thought were really doing, you know, good work for our you know, for our service members and our families. And um, as I retired and I, I got into the nonprofit world, um, you know, just like any business, there's there's really good nonprofits and then there's nonprofits that you just kind of kind of raise your eyebrow at and go, you know, what are what are you really doing to affect our our veterans and the service members and their families today, and and at what cost and and so I just think people just need to do their due diligence. Um, one of the things we do at the Patriot Fund, we've supported uh, this last year, we supported 35 veteran nonprofits. And you gotta, 
kind of take a look at the the veteran nonprofits. I mean, before 2001, you know, you could you could name the the veteran nonprofits on you know two hands and you know take your shoes off and, and count your toes as well. But then after you know 9/11 and after all of the I don't want to say the shortfalls that the, the government doesn't provide, but all the things that are out there to provide for our veterans and families. I mean, we, we have 55,000 plus veteran nonprofits that are registered with the, with the IRS. So Whoa. people just need to do their, their due diligence. I, I, you know, one of the first things when people ask me like, who should I donate to? And I'm like, well, you know, take a look at their 990, take a look at their IRS form 990, make sure they're still a registered 501 C three. Um, you know, and, 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 and look what's on there, you know, study the 990. It's just like looking at somebody's, you know, when political leaders run for office, everybody wants to see their IRS forms. I mean, take a look. And if, you know, if there's people within that organization that are making a hell of a lot more money than you are, then you you might not have to donate to them. You might want to look for these smaller mom and pop organizations that are, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah paying the actual, you know, paying the actual people that, that are getting the work done, you know, either through consulting or contracting or an employee, um, but they're figureheads, you know, um, I look at myself as a senior leader. I'm a, I'm a, you know, a retired senior leader. Um, I received a retirement, I, you know, a pension and a compensation and pension from the VA. Um, my, my duty as a senior leader is still to serve and protect our, you know, service members and our families and our, and our veterans. And so, um, I take great pride in doing that. And, um, should I be compensated in some forms? Yes. You know, like travel, um, you know, doing certain things, but should I receive an exuberant salary for doing this? No, no, because that money from our donors and sponsors need to go, needs to go to what the, what that organization's core mission is. And if it's, if it's doing whatever A to Z, then make sure we're doing that. But again, uh, that I just tell people, take a, take a look at the, take a look at the organization's 990. Every organization out there is good. Everybody's got a great mission, just how they conduct that mission. You know, that's, that's a scale you got to balance. Yeah. And I've done that with some and I, and I've looked at, that somewhere that, you know, people that are paid, you know, over a hundred thousand dollar salaries. And it just, I, I kind of have a hard time with that with, with some of these nonprofits. So, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, you get what you, you get what you pay for too, you know, like in order for some organizations to, you know, do their, you know, to do their mission, uh, there, there may be some, you know, former corporate leaders or, you know, um, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face that I'm sorry, but, you know, retired generals and admirals that, you know, think they have a calling to collect a lot of money from a veteran nonprofit. To me, that, I just think that's criminal, but it it's out there and you get what you pay for. So you just gotta, you gotta take it for what it's worth. But like I said, every, every organization out there is, is, is doing great things. Um, some more than others, some are uh, affecting the veteran and their families immediately, but you just gotta, you just gotta do your research and do your own due diligence. Yeah, that's good advice. I was talking to someone, to a company a few weeks ago, representatives from a company, and, and telling them, hey, I'm trying to find some 
somebody to sponsor the porta potties for the walk we do every year. You know, those are probably our biggest expense because we have some great volunteers now that help with the the different stop rest areas with snacks and with lunch. Yeah. But you know, the porta potties are like, you know, I mean, they're we're looking at less than a thousand dollars. And so I was explaining this to someone, and I said, you know, look, we're a small nonprofit with little overhead. And Dad was standing there, and Dad said, little. No overhead. <laughs> you know, and it's true. I mean, our overhead is like, well, we got to, we got to pay somebody to host our website. You know, we got to have yeah. somebody to, well, I guess that's just about it. Domain registration, those little things, but that's it. Yeah. You have, you have expenses you got to pay. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, if, ands, or buts about it, there's expenses you got to pay. But you're right. You get what you pay for. And so yeah. you know, we, we, we do what we can with our little organization. I believe you started. Project OVAT before you went to the Patriot Fund. Is that right? Yes. I, um, I was working for uh, a, another organization and ended up, you know, as, as, as I found out over the last, uh, you know, six years I've been retired, um, a lot of our veterans are leaving the service, either former or retired, and they're not receiving the, the, the proper VA uh, compensation and pension that, that they should be receiving. And, um, uh, the nickname for that is disability and we're trying to take the word disability out of the compensation and pension because it's, you know, if somebody told me when I retired, you know, Hey, you're a hundred percent disabled. I, you know, I tell them to go pound sand because I'm not a hundred percent, you know, disabled. I, I, I can still, you know, somewhat function, but I have psychological issues and I have physical issues that, that I've recognized now and other people have helped me recognize it through therapy and counseling and, you know, um, medical treatment, I'm, I'm able to identify this stuff now. And so we want to get these, we want to get some of these words, you know, changed back to compensation and pension, but a lot of them just, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a retired officer tell me one time and, and it was kind of the biggest cop out I've ever heard. I just, they said, you know, uh, will, you know, VA comp and pen is a, a lot like awards and decorations. There's going to be people that get it and, and people that don't. And so I asked them, I said, well, then what are you doing to, to, to make sure the people that, that don't get it or don't get assessed properly, you know, get that, get that second chance or get that, get that second or third or fourth or fifth look at it. And his reply was like, well, I, nothing, I, I got mine. And, and man, I just, oh man, that just, that burned a fire in my belly to make sure that, you know, our, our veterans were taken care of. And I had the same, I ended up having the same issue. I, I retired, I, I received a hundred percent comp and pen and then went in for a, a checkup about 18 months later. And the nurse in about seven minutes uh, determined that I had gotten better and my comp and pen was reduced to 30%. So I, no longer received my VA healthcare, which was the only healthcare I had at the time because I was 100%. Why should I? Why should I have supplemental or paid insurance? Yeah. Um, and then the compensation, the pen, you know, the pension part of it was then removed. In fact, they they want me to pay back pay, and it took me a little bit of time to to reach out and ask for help, but I, I finally did, and it was a two year battle with the VA, and it wasn't because the VA are they're not evil people. You know, there's, you know, there's not people that get up in the morning and go, oh, I'm, I go into work today. I'm going to really ruin a veteran. 
veteran's life. It's just, it's a system. It's a, it's a bureaucratic system, um, that you have to have paperwork filled out properly. And there's accountants and lawyers that look at it and how you answered a, a number of questions determines what cop and pen you get. And, um, it's just a, I think it's an old, outdated system that the VA is trying to get it better. They're trying to get it right. They're trying to find the way to yes. And so there's these organizations out there that, that help our veterans with it. But the, the cruel thing that we found out is, again, you get what you pay for. So you can get it for free and go to the VFW, go to the DAV, and, and they have excellent people that work for them, but they're just so overtasked. And then there's these law firms and these other organizations that charge the veteran $2,500, They'll receive a portion of, you know, whatever back pay you get, or you'll pay a portion of a portion of your monthly stipend to them until your billable hours paid off. And, and the people I hang out with and the people that I've surrounded myself with, we just thought that was, that was wrong. There's no reason our veterans should be paying for a benefit that they have earned and deserved. And so after my two year battle, we, we, uh, we started project Dovat and we wanted every veteran that went through our program to be felt like, you know, they're the only one that, that, that we're putting through the system and they're the only one that matters to us. And so we said one at a time and it's not a foundation. It's, you know, it's, it's a project. And so a good bottle of scotch and, uh, a few months later, we, we came up with uh, Project Ovat, and it's just it's just wonderful. We're helping our, our veterans. You know, we, we've had such great success stories with getting our veterans to the level of cop and pen that they deserved and earned. We're not gaming the system. We're, we're getting them to where they need to be. Do you have someone assigned to that veteran, or is it like a um... – an ally that speaks for them or how, or they just walk them through and give them guidance on how to, what to say next or who to talk to, or how does it work? We partnered with the, the law firm that helped my, my case out, Jim Wardell law firm here in, in Tampa, Florida. Um, his law firm is a, you know, a VA competent pen, you know, law firm. Uh, he's got a, he's got a great young man, a former Marine, Josh Boykin that works for him. And, um, we, we, we have that legal side covered. So if there's an appeal or a hearing that we need to get, we have a, a legal side that represents the veteran. Um, and then we have a medical side. And as I mentioned earlier, Scott Zastro, one of my teammates on triple nickel, um, that I was attached to, uh, now is one of our medical consultants. And, um, and then I got a, a great friend, a great couple um, that actually moved down to Florida to help us with Project Ovat, uh, Lyle and Amy Rosine. Lyle's a former uh, paralegal by trade, and Amy's a former personnelist by trade, and uh, retired 26 years and 30 years of service. So uh, between the three of us, I mean, um, Lyle handles all the case management of the veteran, and Amy takes care of uh, all the administrative paperwork we got to do. So we get to help that veteran through the process. So they're not feeling alone at it. And, uh, and it's just been such a great system in the, the last three years. We've we put um, 67 people through the program and um, 
I mean, we started out, we weren't even a nonprofit. We had, we had just, you know, I had luckily friends in high places that could just, you know, support a check and have us, you know, pay the law firm or pay the medical consultant or pay the trip for the veteran to, to go up to Princeton and, you know, see, see our vice president, uh, Doc Mark McLaughlin, who is the, you know, world renowned, you know, brain and spine specialist. And, you know, it's just, again, finding the way to yes. And myself, Lyle and Amy don't get paid. We pay our consultants that actually do the work. And, and it's just a way to save a lot of money and get our veterans taken care of. Yeah. One at a, one at a time. Yeah. By the end of this year, we should be, we should be right at about, about 85, almost 90. Um, my team keeps telling me, hey, keep bringing on cases. It's a, it's a referral only. So that's how we kind of, you know, that's how we kind of, you know, people don't apply to us. Um, people that go through our system, we ask two things of them and two things only. Um, they'll, one, they'll never reimburse us or give us money. Um, but the two things we do ask for them is we ask them for a testimonial that we can share, like on our stories of success and share with our donors and sponsors so they can understand the, the, the plight of the, that veteran going through the system and what uh, kind of challenges they were faced with. Um, and then we ask them for a referral because that's how, I mean, that's how, you know, we got, you know, I was patient zero and that's how we got patient, you know, one and two was I knew two other people that were hurting and not receiving the proper comp and pen that they should be in. So that's how we get people through the, that's how we get people into the program. Um, and then our consultants, you know, do, uh, do the omens work and they get people through the system. Yeah. And we have, we have some really good success stories at the end. Well, what brought you to the Patriot Fund? So the Patriot Fund was an organization that I worked with um, when I was with a, a former uh, foundation. And, um, I mean, they helped us get on the map, the, the president of it. Uh, again, uh, the Patriot Fund was, um, you know, their, their main thing is to provide funding for critical services veterans uh, have earned and deserve, and uh, it sustains their lifelong needs. So they're a fundraising arm. There's not a, um, it, it's, it's been established for just a little over six years. It's not a, it's not an operational charity, meaning that they don't have a certain mission, you know, per veteran. But what we do is we support, um, like I said, we supported 35 veteran nonprofits in 2021 with uh, substantial grants. So we just raised money. And like your question you had, you know, what, what, what veteran nonprofit should I give to you? Well, let me tell you, <laughs> we have a list and we have, we do our due diligence and we interview all the organizations that we support. And um, man, there, there's some of them and yep, they have, they have highly paid, you know, CEOs and presidents, but, to get the money that we give them and that goes into a restricted fund that specifically helps, you know, uh, this veteran or that family and, and the organizations we work with are just so great. But the, the Patriot fund was one of our first supporters. When I told Todd Sherman, I was, I was, uh, leaving a, a different foundation and, and this is what me and Jeff O'Hara and Mark McLaughlin were starting. Um, Todd Sherman was the first, um, light at the end of the tunnel to go, well, we love what you do. Uh, we know you're going to do great and we're here to help support you. And, 
and the Patriot Fund is is the biggest supporter of um, of Project OBAT. Okay, I'm looking at the website now, and if I'm on the right page, I'm seeing several organizations. Consequence of Habit, yeah, you know, Military Women's Memorial, Megan's Foundation. I've seen a few associated with Service Dogs. Yeah, a lot of American Gold Star Mothers. Yeah, a lot of them listed here. Yeah, and so I wanna I wanna have you help me find the way to yes, and how do we get the Mark Forrester Foundation added to that list? Yeah, it's a good question because I want to <laughs> see it on here. <laughs> I can help you with that pretty easy. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great question. Well, I, we would love that. Yeah, and and we 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 love supporting those organizations that you know you you hear those you know. I, I don't want you to ever have to ask for porta potties again. Just call me, and we will take care of it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And, and what was cool is, is I was asking this person from this company, and <laughs> I actually I was asking them of who they because they had already donated some money to the foundation. I was just seeing, hey, who else do you know in town, other businesses that I could ask? And they just said, hey, well, we got that, we got that covered. Don't worry about it. And yeah. I just really appreciate it. You know, that's it's very small to some people, but that's a big expense to us. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest thing in nonprofit is you find the corporate partners that are able to, you know, they may not, you know, everybody's I get it, everybody's hurting. COVID put a put a hurt on everybody, and every, you know, you really have to search for the the donor and sponsor dollar, but but corporations can, you know, give a a gift in kind. You know, they can provide a service for you, and because you're a nonprofit, that can be a tax write off for them. You know, based on that value of whatever they're providing for you. So, right. You know, just other avenues to look at. Your website or project, I'm sorry, Patriot Fund lists, you know, a lot of stats on the website. And some of these, you know, I've heard probably many times, but most of them, I mean, these are really, I don't know, they're tough stats to read. And one in particular is veterans are at 50% higher risk of suicide than their peers who have not served. Why is that? Yeah, I believe that the pressure of service and the commitment of those members is much like those, you know, first responders. Anybody that's in a in a in a high paced job, they're you know they're going to experience you know um, uh, higher kinetic effects. Meaning, you know, uh, policemen, 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 and police women, sheriffs, deputies. I mean, they go to they, they're at war, you know, every day. And and I don't mean that. In a, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, the great thing about the military and special operations is, you know, we were home and we trained, you know, we trained and trained and trained and trained, and then we would go to a foreign country, and then we knew we were, you know, then we were in the war, but, you know, um, take a look at the effects of COVID on our first responders. I mean, I think, I think service members just have a, you know, they have a, um, they have a higher calling, you know, they're, you know, I'd say 99.9% of the, the service members today, you know, their higher calling is, you know, it's service before self. And, and those pressures that, you know, they, they get from that, you know, puts a lot, puts a huge burden on their, you know, on their psyche, on their physical makeup, on their mental makeup. And um, unfortunately, some, you know, some of them go into the military with, with some issues. And then those those issues are just, you know, magnified, you know, by the experiences that they have gone through. And so um, uh, 
we look at the National Library of Medicine for a, a lot of our um, a lot of our statistics and you know a lot of the professional publications, you know, for for that support. But I, I just truly believe that it's the you know the mission that service members um, you know raise their right hand to do. It's just it's going to affect some different than others and. Um, being that it's less than 1% of the populace, you know, uh, and, and, and having, you know, 20% of suicides across the nation are service members uh, or veterans. And that's just, a, that's just an alarming number that we have to get our, our hands wrapped around. And so the, the organizations that we support through the Patriot Fund, you know, whether it be equine therapy, service dog, I mean, just take a look at any of the organizations that we support they're probably impacting the lives of that veteran in one shape, form, or matter that maybe helps them go to the, you know, the next day. Like, man, I had a good day and, and, and I can't wait for tomorrow. And if we can keep instilling that into our veterans and their families, like, man, I had a good day today and, and I want to be here tomorrow. Like that stuff I was dealing with. You know, and I got to talk to somebody or I, I got the service animal next to me or I got my battle buddy with me. And it's just it's it is really not that big of a deal or it is a big deal. And I'm getting help for it. I, I think that helps helps them, um, you know, get over that edge. But again, not that not that our job is any more important than any other job out there. But I, I, I think the I, I think the, the service and the security and freedom of our nation takes a takes a pretty good toll on, on, our, on our individuals. Yeah, good insight. Will you elaborate on the benefits of service dogs? <laughs> Dad, do you have a pet? Yeah, we got one to be a service dog for our youngest son. <laughs> yeah. And he drives me crazy. But no, he, yeah. they love each other, that's for sure. Yeah, I've had, I've had pets most of my adult life um, and, and when I was younger. I can tell you right now, the, the last uh, 15 years, the, the, the four dogs um, that me and my wife have gone through, um, well, two current and, and two past. If it, if it wasn't for those, that unconditional love that, that a pup can bring to you, man, I, I wouldn't be here today. But I think the impact of a service dog is um, – you know, it's, it, it's that it's, you know, it, if you don't love a dog, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> you know, and, and anybody that's listening out there, if you don't love dogs, this isn't a, this isn't a personal dig, but like, <laughs> man, I, I, when my dog doesn't like somebody, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of them. You know, yeah, I'm kind of like, good. ah, you know, like, I don't know, but man, I think, it, I just think, a, I just think a dog brings up the best in us. And, and the thing with a service dog, it is with that handler. It is with that veteran 24 seven, you know, there's not many, you know, there's not many cases where that, 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 that veteran or service member does not have that service dog with them. And so, you know, like my two pets, my, my one, my one rescue dog from the Tampa Humane Society, Stella, she's a little whippet, you know, lab mix, something, something, something. Um, she knows when I have anxiety, um, she will come up and, you know, jump on my lap or, you know, lick my face. Or if for some reason I lose my temper and I yell, she immediately 
comes to me and puts her paws on me and it and it completely relaxes me and that's that's just a stray dog that's just that's just my pet so these organizations that train these service dogs and you know they 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 um you know they work with these industry professionals and these mental health professionals to provide this you know dynamic dynamic interaction between the between the the pup and the 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 veteran or first responder or you know name it name name the person all you gotta do is fill in the blank but they just they just provide that connection that 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 unconditional love that that no other no other human can you know and I, I just man service dogs save lives period what brought about a warrior canine connection you know doing a training doing a service dog in training named after mark uh, <laughs> Uh, so this is, I, I talk about Mark all the time, Dad. I, I do. I, I truly do. I talk about him all the time. Everybody that, everybody that works with me, um, knows Mark, um, especially on the anniversary. The anniversary is just, um, it, it, it's a tough day, but I know it's a tougher day for you guys. So we, you know, we, we try to support you guys with whatever, you know, you need or what you're feeling, but. Man, just everybody knows about Mark, and um, you know the Patriot Fund we provide grants for our operational partners. And one of my my most favorite operational partners are the Canine Service Dog Partners. I mean, not to you know, there's a, no you know biased or you know, no favoritism towards them, but they're just like you can't put a story up about a a, a dog and its handler. You know, you you can't beat that story at all. In fact, when when I would publicly speak you know, about the Patriot Fund or Project Ovad or the former foundation I was with. And, I, I, you know, my standing rule was I'm not going behind the canine people, you know, because once the canine people go, nobody cares what anybody else says, you know. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's due to my love for pups and, and the unconditional love we receive from them. Um, uh, and, again, if it wasn't for my pups, I, I know I wouldn't be here. But, uh Warrior Canine Connection, like many of the service dog organizations, have a, a program, um, and, and this is where we find our donors and sponsors, but they basically have a, a program that if you donate enough money, um, you get to name a, a, a service pup after a, after a former service member that was, you know, lost, um, and then this is how they provide this, the sponsorship, you know, for that service dog, and uh our title sponsor for the Patriot Fund Invitational that we had last year was uh, Republic Bank with Mr. Vernon Hill, and uh, he is a huge canine service dog supporter. Him and his wife, Shirley, I mean, they walk around everywhere with their dog, you know, Sir Duffy, this little, uh, you know, white, you know, little white lap dog, and, um, you know, and and I knew when I met Mr. Vernon Hill, I would never forget his dog name, Sir Duffy, because it's named after, you know, one of the greatest pararescue men in the world, you know, Scott Duffman, who we would call Duff or, you know, Duffy. Hmm. Um, but, uh, um, like I said, a lot of my professional partners, um, that I deal with know Mark and they, they know his story. They know his anniversary and the, the Patriot Invitational was just, you know, uh, think like a, a week and a half after after Mark's uh, um, you know anniversary after his death anniversary and, and my president Todd Sherman and Mr. Hill 
uh, Mr. Vernon Hill thought it would be a, a nice gesture and a great surprise for me that um, uh, I didn't know he was donating the money um, that we would, you know, give uh, Warrior Canine Connection for the sponsorship. And I did not know that the, the plan was to, um, you know, obviously after, you know, permission from, from your family is that we would name the, the service pup that was, you know, going to be born in the, you know, the early spring that we would name it after Mark and, you know, Forrester would be its, its name. And, um, when we first, when we first started doing this, I was just like, man, what, what, what a way to give a living memorial, um, for an individual, you know, it's not a, you know, I can go down to the, to, to the, you know, I can go on McDill Air Force Base, go to the SOCOM, you know, uh, Special Operations uh, Memorial, and I can see Mark's name, which I, which every time I'm on McDill, I go and do, and I, I see the 19 other guys that, that we lost on there. And, but this is a living memorial. So the handler knows Mark's story. The organization that raised the pup knows Mark's story. The family of the handler knows Mark's story. Every person that comes in contact with that service dog is going to know Mark's story. So, man, Mark's Mark's name goes on forever. And I and I and I truly think, um, you know, I was so happy that the the family gave us permission to do this. But but you know, think about it. This service dog is going to do what you know, what Mark always did, he always helped his fellow human and whatever he could do to save their lives, he would do it. And that's, that's what that service canine pup does. Yeah. I don't think there's any better way for him to help right now. Is yeah. that right there? That's a great point. Well, I love seeing the updates. He, he's getting big. Golly, I would love to meet that, that rascal one day. Yeah. We need to, uh, whatever we got to do to get you guys to the graduation. In fact, we, uh, the Patriot Fund has, uh, we have a, a kind of a, I don't want to say small private, we have, we have a hundred person event up in uh, Keys Valley in Maryland next uh, Monday. So Saturday, um, me and my daughter and uh, Amy and Lyle were flying up to Maryland uh, on Saturday. On Sunday, the 17th, we're going to go over to Warrior Canine Connection. Um, Amy and Lyle are going to get to meet Forrester for the first time. My daughter, Shauna, is going to get to meet Forrester for the first time. We're going to, you know, um, get a little tour of the, the compound up there, which is set in this, you know, beautiful farm country, you know, right outside D.C. And um, uh, Jennifer Ewald, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Jennifer is the, the, the trainer for Forrester right now, so she's going to come down and, you know, we're going to spend a couple hours with them and take them out to lunch and see how Forrester does in a, in a, in a public environment. But, um, yeah, I'm just so, I'm just so jazzed to get to go see Forrester again. And, um, when I did the interview with them a couple, uh, a couple months ago now, man, seeing Forrester for the first time, it just, it, it brought out smiles and tears and man, it was just great. But, but that, whatever we got to do to, to make sure, uh, you and the family are at the graduation. You guys are going to be at that graduation. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that video, that interview you referenced, the the video came out just a few days before Memorial Day this year, and 
really powerful. I think it was just six minutes long, something like that, but it, it's got a lot of views. I haven't checked it in many weeks now, but it got shared a lot. Will you talk about that? Because it was called The Forester Way, and what? why do you say that, The Forester Way? It was, I, 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 you know, I would be reluctant to say who coined that phrase or how it came about. I think it's just, you know, I don't know if it was from Bobby or Dennis or, you know, the, the, the team or, you know, our support staff, you know, our, our, our combat support staff that we had at the, the Mighty Two and STS where, you know, Mark was uh, assigned and, you know, when I was his chief, I mean, we just had a, we just had a great group of people. I've, I've, you know, to this day, I've never been in a finer unit and, uh, man, just somehow that, 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 that saying, that phrase came out the Forrester way. Um, you know, it's the, it's the saying that EX and, uh, Sean Gleffy and, um, uh, um, uh, Captain Bear, you know, it's just, it's just something we, we came out with and, you know, we heard it, uh, again, I, I, I don't know who coined it and, uh, whoever wants to, to claim it, I would love to know who it was because I just think it's one of the most in, important things that changed my life. And it's like, how do you emulate somebody that was so professional, so well-grounded and stood for helping everyone? I mean, there's, there's no one word that would describe everything, um, that Mark was about. So it just became, you know, the Forrester way. You know, it's like finding the way to yes, finding the way to yes. And, and then it just became the Forrester way. And it literally, that it literally changed my life. Um, uh, I, I wasn't, you know, at, at the time of Mark's death. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think I still question it today, but man, I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good husband. And I wasn't even a, I wasn't even a good human being. And just something about Mark and, that scene of the Forrester way, it just, it, it, it made me strive every day to, to change my life for the better. And, and I'm sure there's, man, I'm sure there's a couple hundred stories out there of people that knew Mark or people that were in the unit or, you know, the leadership at the time. And, and we just continued, you know, we just continued, you know, uh, since 2010 to say the Forrester way. And if it, you know, if it's helped or changed anybody like life's for the better, man, that's that's all because of Mark. Yeah, I appreciate that. It will the last question I know this could go like really deep and I'm not really asking for that. It's whatever you want to say, but yeah. you were you were part of the notification party that went to my parents. Yeah. And um I've always wanted to talk to you about this and, and probably maybe more in depth another time, but like, I don't know, what impact did that have on you? How did you prepare for it? How did you deal with it? How did you, uh, as a leader, you know, how did you control yourself in whatever way you needed to control yourself uh, in that in that situation? Can you just, just talk about that that notification and maybe how it affected you and how you handled it? Yeah, this is, you know, this is something no senior leader wishes on anybody. Um, you know, it's the respect you know, for this no fail mission. Um, I mean, it's a no fail mission. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, then Colonel Arnfield, now general, you know, retired brigadier general Arnfield, um, you know, when you become a senior leader, you start, you know, you're not a, you're not a, you're not a, it's 
especially in ST, you're not a team guy anymore. You're, you know, you kind of have to be the, the, the voice of reason to the, the commander. And, and I think, uh, I think it was during one of, uh, Colonel Armfield or General Armfield's, uh, commander conferences. And, and we discussed this, you know, this was before Mark had, had been killed. And, um, we discussed the, you know, we had the chaplain there, we had the site there and we discussed, you know, what it's cause we had lost a, a few ST guys. Um, at the time, you know, not from my unit, we lost Will Jefferson back in, uh, 2008 when I first got to the unit and, and I was deployed during that. So there wasn't a notification process. It was, it was the, you know, it was the, it was the shut up in color and get on with the mission and, you know, uh, recover will stuff and do accountability of it and do a quick memorial and, you know, get him and an escort back to the United States so they can deal with it back there and, and we continue mission. And, and so fortunately or unfortunately, I had always been involved with the, you know, the, the Charlie Mike, the continue mission, you know, we got, we'll, we'll, we'll grieve, we'll do the memorial, but then man, it's, it's combat operations. Cause I still have men and women out on the battlefield and, and that's what I got to concentrate on. But for Mark, it was completely different because, um, you know, I was, you know, I had sent my, my, uh, my, my second, uh, senior NCO, uh, Brian Bailey. Um, you know, we had, we had selected him to go downrange along with the commander of Parks Hughes and, and, uh, me and Ed Locker and, uh, the DO, the director of operations at the time, we would stay, you know, in the rear and, and, and run the organization, something I was, um, good, bad, or different, but something I was completely unfamiliar with because I was not on the deployment when my unit was deployed, which, you know, I think that was the first time that had ever happened. And so, um, I was going through the, the chief's leadership course up in Montgomery, Alabama, and, man, we got the, got the call. I want to say I got the call at around two 30 in the morning, you know, saying that Mark was killed and, um, you know, we, we looked at the death letter and, uh, you know, we knew you were up in Tuscaloosa and, and Pat and Ray were in Haleyville and, you know, Parks, Parks and, you know, General Arnfield said, how fast can you be there? And, you know, it's, we got there and it's just, again, it's a no fail mission. And, you know, we, we just had to put our personal feelings aside and, make this no fail mission a success by, you know, there's no success in telling anybody that their, their brother or son is dead. There's no success in that. The success is that they heard it from us. They didn't hear it in social media. They didn't hear it from a family member of a, of a, another operator that was downrange because they, they thought they should be the one to say anything. You know, the success came in that we professionally and with dignity and with respect, delivered that information the best way possible, uh, to you and your family. And, um, it's just, you have to, you have to be at your finest at that moment because the, the, the receiving end, the family on the receiving end needs, needs that, you know, it can't be a, it can't be a shit show. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a hundred percent. And if you're not, if you're not willing to go into it a hundred percent, then you need to find somebody else to do it. Man, it hurt. It, it hurt bad because, you know, this was, you know, being the chief of the unit and, and knowing Mark and, you know, 
the, the professionalism and the, how mature he was. Um, you just did not think that that would happen to him, but lo and behold, he, you know, he, he went into, went and on that battlefield to, to save another teammate. Um, and, uh, man, he, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. So it's just, it's just the, it's, it, it changes a family's life forever. And it, it, it changes the, the lives of the, the people that were involved with it. And, uh, kind of back to your question, it, it, it comes from the realism that a senior leader will take the time to make sure that it, it goes flawlessly and, and that everybody finds the way to yes on it because the, the air force in a whole doesn't do notifications like we do in special operations that we, especially that in, in, in special tactics that the air force mm -hmm. still has probably not seen the eye to eye with the way we do it. But when you have, you know, the force of, you know, Gwen Armfield making shit happen so that we can do this no fail mission a hundred percent. And, and give your family the respect and dignity it, it deserves, like, then you're, you're willing to do that. Yeah. We all did it and we, you know, we'll never forget you for that. And, and obviously it's, you may not, you may not want to want to be remembered for that, but that's uh, <laughs> the way you did it was as good as it could have been done. Uh, I firmly believe that. And if you remember, we had a, an assembly at the high school the day before the funeral, yeah. And this was kind of a last minute thing. They wanted somebody to speak and uh, Joseph spoke. I spoke. I think you spoke. You, you did a great job. And but on the way to the school or on the way back, we had just gotten some news about some potential protesters from Westboro Baptist Church. And <laughs> and, you know, we were obviously not in not in the best place. And I remember I was ticked and and I may I said something like, how can how can this even be allowed to, have be, to happen? Something like that. And I believe it was you. I'm, I'm curious to see what you remember. I think you're the one that said, we fight for their right to do this too. Do you remember that? Yeah. Was that yeah. you? And, and what did you really say? Um, well, that's why we, you know, that's why less than 1% of the nation is willing to lay their lives on the line for our nation. It's because we want, you know, it's like when Kaepernick took a knee, like, it, it truly didn't bother me because that's what we fight for. That's what we, we, we fight for a nation where we're free to um, express ourselves. We're free to, you know, exercise our, you know, freedom of speech. And, you know, just as, you know, may not like it, you know, most, most things that, you know, probably 99.9% .9 of the stuff that comes out of their mouths is garbage anyways, but they have, they have the right to do it because we fought for that right. Again, it doesn't make it right, and I don't agree with it, but I, 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 I've seen people beheaded and executed um, because they expressed what they thought was right. And, uh, man, we're just, we're just so happy to live in a nation that that doesn't happen. And, and, and that's why we serve is to fight for others that can't and to keep our nation free. That gave me great perspective then and great perspective now for the listeners. So thank you. I, I've spoken to groups several times over the years and I've brought this up and I talked about it even recently when I was in California on Memorial Day. 
Will, what else would you like to say in closing? Man, Dad, I just, you know, you and the family have just, you're, you're always in my heart. Even if we don't, we don't talk all the time. We, we have our lives, but you know, I'm just a, I'm a phone call. I'm a text. I'm an email away. I'm, you know, whatever you and the family ever need, I'm indebted. I'm indentured, you know, whatever you need, I am, I'm here for you all the time. Well, we certainly appreciate that. We appreciate you and your many years of service and, and sacrificing your, your time away from your family and your, your body and your health. And and glad you are where you are now. It sounds like you've you've gone through some deep valleys and and you've come out on top or you're at least doing well to get there on top. So just very happy for you, Will. Yeah, just continue to do the best I can at, you know, living my life the Forrester way.